Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. So uh, I like the personality. That had to be spin. Anyhow, so Malachi chapter 1. And no, that is not the Italian prophet Malachi, right? But it is at the end of the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, before you get to the New Testament, it's like the page or page before that. Anyhow, Malachi is a prophet probably nobody ever talks about as it's buried right there in the minor prophets near the end of the Old Testament right before really God stops speaking for just a few hundred years and, and, then, and then Jesus enters into human history. So right in, sandwiched in between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this, is this story. Really what, what happens is the people of God have drifted away from God. And I know that that's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. And it's a recurring theme today, really, that the people of God tend to ebb and flow in their relationship with God in all kinds of areas. That's what we do. Right? We're not perfect. We're, we're all flawed. We're all broken. And so we see, uh, as even throughout the few thousand years that the Bible covers, that we watch as God's people kind of follow God and are under his grace and are under his care. And then all of a sudden they will just drift away and it's like they don't follow God at all. And, and I think the reason that God captures so many of those stories for us is that's who we are. That's who we are as people. We, we tend to ebb and flow. We tend to do really well, follow God really well, be really strong, pursue our faith relentlessly. And then things just shift and change, and the next thing you know, we drift. And so just as humanity is, we get to see this. And so as Pastor Matt said, we are buttoning up the Generations Belonging to Generations series. And so we've talked about worship being a part of Sundays. We've talked about being a part of a community group. Those start up after next Sunday. We've talked about serving. That was last week. We had all the different areas that you can serve in, from children's ministry to hospitality to all kinds of things. And if you missed that last week, that doesn't mean you can't serve. By all means, go see Yvette or see somebody out front. Come see me. We, will, we would love to plug you in. And so today kind of lands in giving. And really being a part of a church means just a few things. Attending, right? I mean, that makes sense. Belonging to a smaller community where you can get to know people, people can get to know you, serving in that community, and giving, right? And so as we talk about that, just like Pastor Matt said, giving is this thing that gets really weird in the church when we talk about it. And so really the church has done a lot of damage in this area. And so sometimes churches talk about it all the time. And then some kind of as a, as a, as a response to that never talk about it. And we just kind of landed in the place of if the Bible talks about it, we will talk about it. Whatever it will be, no matter how hard it will be, we will talk about it. And so we try and work through when it fits into things, not in any other space. But if, you, if you're unfamiliar with how a church works, let me just say this. The only way the church derives an income is the people here, right? Like nobody else is giving us income out of nowhere. The government clearly doesn't, right? We don't make a product we can sell. What we do, it's based on the generosity of you guys, right? And so first off, this kind of begins with a thank you. So thank you that you have been faithful. But then we have to ask the question, what does God call a follower of Jesus to do? So this doesn't count if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you are not one who has said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place my hopes, my faith, and my trust on Jesus. You know, if that's you, this is what the Bible calls you to. If that's not you, it's more important that you hear about Jesus than you hear about money, right? And so if that's not you, this is uh, a message you can still hear, and you can hear how, how followers of Jesus struggle even with clear things that God calls us to. 
okay? So those of you that are note takers, it's on the other side today, so I'm going to get used to that. Today's main idea, Jesus calls us to give our best in all areas of our life, worship, service, finances, etc. As a response to Jesus' sacrifice for us, we give to the work of the gospel. Really, that's where we are. As a response to what Jesus has done for us, we give. And let me just say this before we get going. We believe that if you woke up this morning, you have breath in your lungs, it's because God gave you breath in your lungs. Right? If you have a job, a skill set, if there's something you can do, the gift that you've been given, or even the talent that you have driven for, trained for, studied for, and developed, God has given that to you. Right? And then so anything that we derive from this life, anything, that means it's given to us by God. And so what do we do with what God has given us to steward or to care for? How do we responsibly respond to that? So let's pray and we'll dig into Malachi. Jesus, we love you. That's why we're here. Jesus, you lived this life. You were God who became flesh. And Jesus, you live the life that we're called to live. You've been hungry. You've struggled. You've been alone. The Bible says you were you were at a point where you had a place where there was nowhere even to lay, to lay your head as you traveled to tell people about the kingdom that you reign over, that you suffered, you went without, you sacrificed on our behalf. And then Jesus, you did that to glorify God, to point all back to the Father. And then Jesus, you were betrayed and crucified, suffered and died. And you did that, you traded that just for the flaws and failures of humanity, that if we would trust in you, that you would cover us and forgive us and give us new life. And so, Jesus, here we stand, broken, flawed, but under your grace. And we ask that you would speak because we need your words. Jesus, let me fade to the back because I have nothing to add. But Jesus, would you speak? We are your church. We need to hear your words. We need your life. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Malachi chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Right there in verse 1, it says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So just again, I gave a little premise to this in the beginning, and just before. But this is God speaking to a man named Malachi to speak to the people of God. That's really what's going on. A prophet in the Old Testament was just that. He was, some, he was someone that God would entrust his truth to and give him his place to speak. And so now Malachi is going to go and speak to God's people at the time. And so he's going to speak to this group of people, much like we are today, but in a very, very different setting. He's going to speak to a group of people that really don't want to hear what he has to say. And he's going to speak to a group of people who have wandered away from God. So they have known better and they've wandered away. So this isn't like non-believers, people that have never heard, people that this is brand new to. This is people that have known the truth and have wandered away by choice or by circumstance or whatever it may be. But in their hearts, they have drifted. And so God is calling them back. He's going to begin with some very strong words. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We'll actually skip some of it because it just gets worse. And you can only take so much, right? And I can only take saying so much. So we're going to skip some of it. We're going to pick back up where the story gets better. And he's going to call people to return to him. And so it says that the oracle, the speaker of the word of the Lord, Malachi. Verse 2, it says, I've loved you, says the Lord, 
But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill and country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. For sake of time, let me just say this. If you follow the history of God's people, there's a division. And it happens around two twin brothers. And so two twin brothers enter into this world, and, and, and one of them, a con artist from birth at least, ends up really turning his life around and, and, and following God and becoming a follower of God. And Esau, who really, his older twin brother, they were fraternal twins, he came out first, and Esau, really resenting his younger brother for most of his life, drifts away from God. And God puts his hand of blessing on one, the one who follows him, and God just lifts his hand off the other. And so Esau ends up having a people group called the Edomites, and they live up in the hill country. And God does not bless them while they're not following him. So he's just really, what you see here is God just take his hand off one group of people, and God kind of threatened to take his hand off the other, right? Because of your disobedience, what he's saying is, is I'm, I'm, I'm ready to pull just my hand off of you and let everybody around you take over. And they're like, well, where have you been blessing us anyhow? And he says, well, look at the people around you. Have I not kept them away? Have I let them prosper? <clears throat> no, what I've done is I've guarded you and protected you. And what he's saying is, like, do you not see the presence of God in your life? Right? And so for, for those of us that call Jesus our Savior, for those of us that, that really orient our life around Jesus, we have these stories of God's mercy and God's faithfulness. But too often it goes like this. Something catastrophic will take place in life, whether that be financial or illness or anything else. But something will happen. And what you'll see is people really press in tight to God, right? They're in church all the time. They're not in just one community group, but two. They serve everywhere. They show up all the time. They do everything they can. And really their heart is being poured out before God. God, I need a job. Or God, I, I need healing. Or God, whatever it is. God, I'm alone and I want a spouse. Whatever it could be, those are all super common things. But what is also common is God answering those prayers, providing that job, providing that income, giving healing, providing that significant other person, right? And what happens is maybe they get all wrapped up in that relationship and drift away from God. Or they end up because they've been behind. They'll take all the overtime they can get and they drift away from church and away from God. Or they get feeling better, and so they take on all kinds of activities, and they drift away from God. And here's what happens, is sometimes when things are wrong, when things are the most broken, we press in the closest to God. But then when God answers our prayers and gives us what it is we've asked for, we tend to just forget where it came from. And so that's what God is saying to the people. He's saying, listen, do you not remember? Do you not see? So note for you, for your note takers, and again, this is in the app, you know that. Do we treat God differently when we're in need of God and then forget about how good God has been to us in the seasons we are not in need? And listen, it, that is universal. Like, this hits every one of us, right? None of us can say that we haven't done this, right? I, I get that some do it to greater extent or whatever, but we all forget. We all get busy. We all misplace the idea that God was so faithful when we were in need that when we're not in, in need, that we're to respond in kind, right? So verse 4, it says, In Edom, so this is Esau's descent, says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts, meaning God, says, They will build, but I will tear down. 
And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Verse 6. I just want to read the first half of this and we'll talk about where we're headed. Verse 6, it says this, a son honors his father and a servant his master. God speaking, if I am a father, then where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pause there in the middle of that. Excuse me. Here's what God is saying. If I were a human authority, you would obey, right? It's like this. Okay, so if, if you're this didn't happen to me today, making this up. But if I'm driving to church today and, and red and blue lights go on behind you, what do you do? Right, good. Now, I know you guys would think, see, probably got pulled over or something, right? And I don't know why you think that about me. But, all right, so probably for good reason. So if they, pull, they do that, you pull over. They give you a tick, ticket, you sign. You don't sign, you go to jail, right? I mean, that's just the reality, Right? If a judge orders you to pay a fine, what do you do? Pay a fine. And if you don't, go to jail. That's what I hear. Anyhow, right? So we obey human authority, right? If you're in school and a teacher says, sit down, be quiet, do this, do your homework, right? Your obedience to humanity, to human authority is common. God is saying, listen, I created humanity, And yet you'll obey humans, you'll obey other people around you that really are your peers but are in positions of authority, and yet why do you forget that I created you, that I gave them the very authority they have? Right, all authority. says Romans is delegated by God to us. So he says, if I was human, you'd at least treat me better. That's what he's saying. If I was a father, right, if I was a master... That's what he's saying. Then you would treat me better than you do, and yet I am God. Verse 6, let's read it again. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you, meaning the priests, say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. So here's what's going on, and then here's how it relates to us. So here's what happens. So in the Old Testament, primarily an agrarian society, meaning you either grow food or you raise cattle to be food, right? I mean, that's kind of the setting. It's crops and animals. Those are the primary responsibilities in an agrarian setting. So that means 80, 90% of the people do one or the other, if not both. And so what would happen is they were called to tithe. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but they were called to give their first tenth to God. So the followers of God, not everybody at Randall, but those who followed God were called to give their first tenth. Now, it would begin like this. So if you had a lamb, like if you had lambs, right? If you had sheep and you you had a, 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 I don't, I was going to say a litter. I don't have, I have have pit bulls. So if you had pit bulls and you had a litter of pit bulls, right? (laughs) Something I can relate to, Right. What you would do is if you had sheep or if you had a lamb, you would give the best lamb of your flock, right? One that was flawless. That's what God would call you. You would give your best to God, right? If you grew crops, you would give your first portion to God. And so the idea behind this, tithe actually means tenth. So I wrote it down for you. Tithing is taught in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It has two main principles. A tithe is the first tenth. Tithe actually means tenth. First fruits or first tenth 
means the very first thing you do. So in other words, imagine you grow crops. Imagine you grow food. And so you grow corn or you raise cattle or whatever you do. And the first tenth, if you grow food, was to go to God. And what that would do is posture you in a place of trusting God that more would come, right? And so here's the idea. That the people of God would know, listen, if you have anything, it's because I caused it to rain. So if you have it, I gave it to you. I gave it to you to care for. I gave it for your enjoyment. I gave it to you to care for those who are in need. That's, that's what I gave it to you for. And so here's how you do that. Here's how you take care of the ministry around you. In a modern day, in a New Testament setting, what they would do is they would give it to the church. In the Old Testament, they would give it to the temple. Same concept. And it was the point of the church, the place of the church, or the place of the temple to care for the community. So if people were in need, they could care for them. And so what you do, how you give, and who you give, as you give to us as a church, we have the opportunity to care for people. We have the opportunity to do ministry together. We have the opportunity to meet in a building like this that they don't give us for free. Not, they're not supposed to, right? So that's not knocking them, but like, like this doesn't come for free. Our offices aren't there for free. Some landowner didn't just say, hey, take these 4,500 square feet of offices and just use it. Right? It costs money. It costs money to keep the lights on. It costs money to care for folks, to, to, to do ministry together, right? And so this is what God is saying. And so he called people he, and calls people, Old Testament and New Testament, talk about tithing, the first 10%, right? And so, no, we don't talk about this a lot. In fact, the last few times we talked about finances, we talked about Proverbs wisdom and how you can be betterly, a better steward of your own finances, really, right? But it comes to the point you've got to understand that this is how we work as a church, but this is true also of time, of your worship, of your service. Like when we gather together, we, we gather together to worship, not just to be here, not checking a box, right? That we're here and that we would give our best to God. That when we serve, we give in areas where we're talented and passionate and we serve the church and that we would give our best to God. And the same thing applies. So last week, as we talked about serving in the church, the same thing applies, what pulls us away is a place in our heart, right? And that's really what I want to talk about today. So it relates to almost anything, but it's a place in our heart. So verse 8 says this. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So here's the deal. Now he's speaking to the priests who not only should have known better, but they should have led the people better, right? So they're held to that kind of accountability. He's speaking directly to them. Here's what he says. Listen, you've got these 10 sheep over here, and you choose to give this one to God. Now this is the one that's blind and diseased. So now what are you, what are you going to do with a lamb that's blind or diseased? You don't want to eat it, right? You definitely can't sell it, and you don't want to mate it, Right? So this becomes the thing that is worthless to you. He says, now, do that with your governor. See how that goes. Modern-day equivalent. Like, give, give the government your taxes after everything else you've spent is gone. Give them what's left over. How would that work? Right? We just all paid taxes or need to pay taxes or whatever the scenario is, right? Hope, maybe you got something back. Praise God if you did. But it's not like at the end of the year we start doing our taxes or 
for most of us, pay somebody to do our taxes because it's complex, right? And they're like, you know what? So I spent all this over here. I spent all this over here. I need to take out some money for Starbucks. Clearly, I need the new iPhone. And this is what's left over. The IRS can have this. Right? Also, good way to go to jail. Right? So, he's using this parallel by you can treat humans one way, and you treat them better than you do God, yet I'm the one who created humanity. And like, when it rains, it's because I said so. When you breathe, because I let you. If you flourish, it's because I, I cause you to flourish. And so he's saying, now, listen, why then do you despise me? And they say, well, what do you, how do we despise you? By giving, us your left, by giving me your leftovers, he says. So in a, and just in, in a personal setting, it's like saying, okay, I get all this in, and then I got to pay for my house, and I, I got to pay for the electric, and I, I've got to eat, and then, you know, you got this, you got that, and then all the way down the line. And it's not like a lot of people are skipping cable or cell phones or anything else, right? And then when it's done, I've got this. I've got this left over. God can have this. And he says, why would you despise me like that? How, how do we despise you? He says, you give me what's left over, what you have no other use for. Let's start over in verse uh, 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord. I read that again because there's this book. uh, It's probably 10, 12 years old. I read it a long time ago. Um, I'm not going to quote it directly, but I, I will kind of reference it. But it's a book by a pastor named Craig Rochelle called Practical Atheist. And, and his premise behind the book was this. He says, though you confess Christianity with your mouth, you live as though Jesus doesn't exist. He says something to the effect of that. Like though with your lips, you proclaim that you follow Jesus. But in your life, it doesn't look like you're doing that. And so he worked through different things. <clears throat> we believe in prayer, but we, you know, trust in whatever. We believe in this, but we trust in that. And he said this, we believe in Jesus, but we trust in money. Here's a note for you. Christians often believe in God, but trust in money. Money shows where our heart is. We pay our cable bill, we have a cell phone, we go to Starbucks, but we'll also say we can't afford to tithe. His words paraphrased from memory, but that's the point, right? And that's what God is saying to Malachi. Like, you got everything else you want to do. Like, you're still making a, a car payment on a new car, or you're still doing this, and everybody's got to drive. I get, you got to get around. You got to eat. Nobody's saying that's not true. But when we prioritize all the way to the end and we give God what's left over, that's where God says, okay, listen, if you did that to anyone else, right? If you're like, hey, man, I did all my spending, and now here, mortgage company, here's what I've got left. Take this, right? That's what God's saying. So don't shoot the messenger. Just understand, that's what he's saying. Like you do everything else and you treat everyone else better than me, God says. And then you bring me what's left over, what you have no other use for. His example is a blind and diseased animal. There is no other use for that. You can't do anything with that. Killing it is probably the most sane thing you could do. And God says, why would you despise me like that? Verse 9, it says, Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand will you show favor to any of you, 
says the Lord of hosts. He says, now, then you gather together and you ask me for things. Right? And listen, you can sit outside this and you can look from the outside and go, that's crazy. Like, why would they do the why would, but it's not a why would they, it's a why would we. Right? Like, you can sit from the outside and this is crazy sounding. But then if you're honest enough with yourself, you're just like, totally that's me. Right? And maybe it's not in finances. Maybe you're a faithful giver. Maybe you give generously. Maybe you give more than God asked you to give. Maybe. But do you do so with your time every day? Do you serve to your most faithful? Do you, do you honor God in the workplace? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't end. God calls us to giving him his be- our best as a response for the sacrifice he's made on our behalf. And so in this area, as God is calling out this group of people, as we study that today, for this group of people, we just have to ask this question. Do we give God our best? Do we give God what's left over? He says, when you do that, and then you gather together to ask me for stuff, he says, you've got to understand what this looks like. And again, super easy to look back 24, 2,500 years and read this conversation and go, wow, that's crazy. But then we have to be honest and just admit that's us, right? Verse 10 says, Oh, that there were one among you that would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. We never want to hear this. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord. I will not accept an offering from your hand, right? Not words I ever want to hear from God. So this isn't to guilt you or shame you into this. Here's what God is saying. God is saying this to them. He's telling them the case. He's going to proclaim all kinds of pending judgment over them that we're not going to read. We're going to fast forward to Malachi 3 where the story gets a little better, okay? But what I want you to see is there's the situation he's talking about and he presents it clearly and then he gives them two choices. Either continue down this road and this is what it will look like. We're going to skip that part. Or you, can re- or you can repent, or you can return, you can change, right? You have the opportunity to return, is what he's saying. And it'll look like this. And so understand, here's the idea. It, this is rooted in the gospel, and it was rooted in the gospel 2,500 years ago. It's rooted in the gospel today. It's the same as saying Jesus came to cover over your sin, to heal your brokenness, Right to redeem your life, to, to fix whatever is broken. Jesus came and suffered and died to meet you wherever you are, whatever you are, right? For those of you who know my story, like wherever you are, right? In a prison cell, as a drug addict, as a gang member, whatever, like I'll meet you there. That's, that is the offer of Jesus. But now you have this choice. You can either respond to that or you can ignore that, but that becomes your fault or that becomes your choice, your decision. As Jesus comes and extends himself to us, we have the choice of responding to Jesus or just drifting further away. And so that's where God ends up with the people, his people, roughly 2,500 years ago, giving them this choice. And he's going to go on all through chapter 2 of just laying out that, well, if you drift away more, here's what it's going to look like. We're going to jump into chapter 3. So if you're on your app, just scroll down. If you're in a Bible, it's probably the same page. It's a pretty small book. Malachi 3, starting in verse 6. 
God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, speaking directly to those people there, Israel, are not consumed, right? So here's what he says. I don't change. It's not like I said this once, and now I changed my mind. I'm going to go, oh, I didn't mean that before, right? So he's saying, I'm the same. And he really is going to say this. I'm the same both in what I've called you to, but I'm also same, and I'm also the very same in the promises I've given to you. Right? As, as God calls out and says, listen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Right? Second Chronicles 7 says that. Like that, that, that promise exists 3,000, 3,500 years ago. It exists today. Like God says, I haven't changed. Right? I get it. New music, new styles of clothing, but I'm the same. Right? Like I get that you've moved around, but I'm still God. And the, and the same thing exists today. The same call to obedience and the same promise of God, again, is still in play. Verse 6, let's read it again. Therefore, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the deal. He's saying, listen, I made promises to you and I'll keep them. I've also called you to respond in a certain way and the expectation is that you do. So you do your part. I I haven't changed. I'll do my part. I will meet you wherever you are, says God. Verse seven says, from the days of your fathers, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So here's where it kind of transitions. And, and what the prophet is doing is, okay, so we've looked at the issue. We've looked at what happens if you drift further away from the issue. Okay, great. You keep running from God, gets worse, not better. Again, spoken from experience, right? And then if you turn around, There's God saying, listen, I want to love you. I want to pour out my blessing, my grace on you. I want to redeem your life. I want to heal what's broken. I want to be there. And so here's what it looks like. If you run, but here, what if you return? And the people just honestly say, how do we return to you? Like, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we return to you? And really, you got to hear that they're hearing this as they are just deeply convicted about the situation they're in. They see what they're doing, and, and let's just, so let's use finances as, as an example. We get ourselves so far down the road of either debt or spending or whatever it might be, that we get to this place where we're like, I don't even know how I can change this. Like this setting, I don't even know how to fix it, right? And that doesn't matter if you, you, you make zero or if you make lots. It doesn't matter. You can feel that same pressure, that same weight financially no matter what you make, whether you make nothing or you make a lot. Granted, I'd rather have the problems and make a lot, right? But you can feel that pressure. And the response is always the same, like, I don't know how to move from here to the, even the first step. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to turn this thing around. Like, this thing feels like it ran away without me. And it feels like I'm giving you what's left over. I'm not giving it all because I have nothing. It feels like everything is spent as soon as I get it. Or maybe just have nothing. I came to faith, I had nothing. Where does it begin? And that's what they're asking. Where does this begin? Verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? 
But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse for robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, he says that in order to tell them how to churn. But I want to pause there, and I want to just give you kind of one more metaphor for the whole thing. Most of you know my wife, Lisa, and, and she's, she was here the last two weeks, not here today. She's been chronically ill for years, right? Now, imagine I was going to go away for a couple of years. Imagine I had to be gone, right? And again, while we're imagining, imagine I have lots of money, right? Neither one of those two things are true. I should be here tomorrow, and I don't have lots of money. But if I did, and I took this pile of money, and I gave it to you, and I said, listen, I'm going to be gone for the next two years. There's more than enough money to care for you and care for her. Here's what I need you to do. Every 30 days, just give her this amount, and the rest is all yours. So I go away, and the first month you give her, you care for her. And then the second month, you don't, or it dwindles. And then the third month, or the fourth month, or the sixth month, she's getting nothing, she's in need, and you've really kind of just run away with the rest of it. Now, how would I feel? How pissed would I be, right? That's my bride, right? She's not perfect, but she's mine, right? Like I tell her, she's crazy, but she's my crazy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Furious, angry. Would I want to continue to bless you, give to you? No, the things I do, things I would want to do, we'd need repentance over, right? Like I just, it wouldn't be pretty. Be grateful for grace, but it wouldn't be pretty. That's what God's saying. Like, I gave this to you, and I need you to take care of my bride, the church, the ministry, that my message would continue to go out, that we would be, continue to be able to care for people, love people, tell them about Jesus. Here's what, and I've given you more than enough. It was for you, too. But I asked you for this. He says, but would a man rob God? Now, he's going to say, how do we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? Verse 8, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 10, he says, bring the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, that I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here's what God says, and you will only find one place in all the entirety of the Bible where God says to test him. In fact, in lots of places, it says, don't test me, right? Remember, I made you, that kind of thing, right? I brought you in, I'll take you out, kind of idea, right? In this area, he says, listen, test me. Bring your full time, bring your, bring your contribution to the church. Come, bring this to me and see if I won't take care of you. Test me, put me to the test. Now, he's calling us to being stewards of what we have, right? So I wanted to find that's not a term we use very often. So stewardship is the act of taking care of something that belongs to someone else. Believing that God put the very breath in our lungs and gave us the skills we had to gain income causes us to see all our resources as given to us by God and a call to be good stewards over them. So he's saying, listen, you trust me. You be good stewards of what I've given you and test me. See if I won't take care of you. He says, see if I won't open up heavens and pour down what you need. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, trust me, try me, test me. See if I'm telling you the truth. 
put me to the test. See if I won't take care of you. In fact, see if I won't take care of you to the extent where there's no more need. He goes on. He takes it one step further. It's in verse 11. I cut it out, but I want to I show you this. It's right here. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And in your vine, the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. He says, see if I won't even take away the things that cause you struggles now. See if I won't take away the devourer, which was uh, when you grow, uh, if you grow your own food in this era and this, in this place in the world, locusts were a common threat. And they would come in and they would destroy the entirety of, uh, of the plants. And he's saying, listen, see if I won't even chase off that for you. Cause it to rain. Cause it to be more. Not only just see if I won't provide, but see if I won't take it even further. And that is the gospel message. See if I won't change everything for you. See if I won't just do the things you're asking me to do, but see if I won't meet you there and do more than you ask, more than you imagine, more than you could ever dream of. That's the gospel message. And God says, put me to the test. I want to close with just two slides. I, I just, as we talk about, okay, what do we do in response to this? The first one is this. The first and the most important thing to do is approach finances differently, right? A change of heart. Less like an idol that we trust in more than God. Ironically, our money says in God we trust, right? And yet we clearly trust more in money. Less like an idol that we trust in more than God himself. Go back to many different notes, sorry about that. And begin, yeah, and begin to view everything you have as God's. I copied that over from a different message that I wanted to put that point up. Ignore that. Vinny didn't preach that last. So change of heart, right? Change, transform how we think about everything we do, right? How, how do we view money? Do we view it as ours? Like I earn this. I don't have to give anything away. Like, it's mine to do with what I want. I don't trust the church, right? And a lot of times the church throughout history has earned that. But a change of heart is the first place we start. How do we view whatever God has given us? Whether that be a home, a family, a job, an income, it doesn't matter what it is. Having a change of heart to believe that whatever we have is from God. And the next slide, the one I'll close with. The book Practical Atheist, Craig Rochelle, as he wrote this, he says, I believe... I believe in God, but I trust in. And then he does a lot of chapters on that. At the end of the book, I wish he had put this at the beginning of the book and just played this idea out more. He gives three lines. He talks about three-line faith, and he gives us three things. He says most Christians fit into three categories. One, I believe in God and the gospel enough, only enough, to benefit from it. The second line is I believe in God and the gospel enough to give comfortably. And the third line, I believe in God and the gospel enough to give my whole life to it. So we'll leave that up for you for a minute. But it's also, again, those, all those slides are in the app. <clears throat> wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, if this message resonates with you, if this is a place where you struggle, then I would suggest this. Trying to jump into the deep end is probably too hard, right? It's probably a lot to ask and... and, and it may even be more than God is asking for you from you today. But where Craig wor uh, worked this out, he says, I, I, how much do I believe in the gospel? If I believe in God and the gospel enough to only take from it, 
then you are the one that is here and you're sitting here, you just want to receive. And sometimes we're in a place so broken that we have nothing to give. And I would say, then just be here. That we, would, we want you to be here. Where if, if that's you, if you're just in this place where I have nothing to give, then we're glad you're here. But if you believe in God and the gospel enough to just give comfortably to it, then you're taking that step of faith out and saying, listen, I've been, I've been giving nothing, but I'm going to give something that's kind of comfortable as I step out in faith to this, right? And then the final one, as you lay down your life before Jesus, I believe in God and the gospel enough to give my whole life to it. And I would say wherever you are right now, look at the next line in your faith. Look at the next place where you can dive in, the next step you can take and say, you know what, in faith, I, I want to I keep coming here. Or in faith, I, I want to begin to give, but I'm, I'm at a comfortable level. I'm going I'm to do this. Or if you know that Jesus has been incredibly faithful to you and you believe in God and the gospel enough to give everything to it, then that's you. Then you step up and you become obedient to God in this area or any area. What line of faith are you willing to cross today? Let's pray.